0: We're going to travel kind of fast this evening because on the back side of your handout sheet there is the significance of Christ returning. Uh, since this is the last Wednesday of the year, if we can get a chance, we want to cover some of that too. I want to start out, if I can, by just sharing with you a statement. by. Uh, it's taken from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says, The Ascension of Jesus... He who left heaven and came to earth, having finished his work on earth, now returns to heaven. And he gives several scriptures to show that this is true. Mark 16, verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, talking about his disciples, he was received into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God. Luke 24, verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and he was carried into heaven. And then if you look at the book of Acts in the first chapter in verse 9, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and the cloud received him out of their sight and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. So passages that affirm that he was taken up into heaven. There are a number of passages also uh, that Jesus Told him people that during his lifetime that this would happen. We're not spend much time on this. John 6, the very last part, you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. John 7, uh, 33, and then I go unto him that sent me. John 14 and verse 12, because I go to my Father, uh, because I said I go unto my Father. John 14, John 16, but now I go my way t- uh, to him that sent me. Verse 28, I leave the world. And go to the Father, uh, John 20. I ascend unto my Father. So there's no doubt that He ascended unto the Father if you believe the Scriptures. And then uh, look just a moment at the time. Here's His crucifixion. The day He was crucified was day one. He was a full day in the grave. The third day He rose from the dead. So third day, as they count time, and then 40 days before His ascension. Look at Acts, the first chapter. And beginning in verse 1, the former thesis I have made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which the Holy Ghost given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, talking about his death, by many infallible proof, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Forty days that he showed himself to the apostles, and told them about the kingdom, and then he ascends into heaven. Uh, As we talk about the significance of this, though, uh, one of the things is, this is where he uh, changed from the fleshly body that he'd been wearing and and that he possessed, uh, back to a glorious body. Three passages to consider, Philippians 3 and verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So he has gone from a body like we had of flesh, and now he says he has a glorious body, and and he'll change ours eventually according to the working, whereby he is able even to do all things to himself. Uh, 1 John 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we, when, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. However he is, that's what we will be, he said. Look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians 15, 50. This is a passage that Paul is talking about the resurrection and how that we are going to be raised, and at that time that, that our corruptible body will put on incorruption and so forth. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And though that's not talking about Jesus, it does tell us that he would have to change, his body would have to go through a change before he would be ready unto heaven and to be in heaven. So one thing, we know that his body uh, changed and it took on a glorious appearance. Uh, passages with reference to his body after that ascension. Uh, well, let's skip that for time's sake. Let's just go to a second thing. This is when he began his priestly duties. Uh, Hebrews 9 and verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figure of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he's appeared into the holy place and into heaven and he says he appears in there for us hebrews 4 and 14 a great high priest that has passed into heaven so when he passed from earth back into heaven he is our high priest now and begun or began doing his priestly work two passages i think that gives us insight or a couple of passages that give us insight to what he is doing for us as our high priest Hebrews 9.11, but Christ being become an high priest by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. Uh, Think back to the Old Testament and how those priests would offer sacrifices for those people. And now he says Christ has become our high priest, and by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. They had to do the sacrifices before they could enter into that holy place. And now he says Christ had to offer himself and his own blood in order to be our priest and to enter into that most holy place, talking about heaven. Now, uh, a little different from Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had priests that would offer sacrifices and, and they were offering the blood of animals. Christ is our sacrifice. He offered his blood, and yet he is the priest also that turns around and offers that blood and presents it unto God as being the sacrifice. Uh, Hebrews 7 verse 25, Wherefore he is all able also to save them to the utmost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercessions for them. So here's the another thing he mentions. He comes to make intercessions for us. Uh a couple of passages, Romans 8 and 34, when well, I read it, but it talks about him also making intercessions for us. And then a uh, couple of thoughts. Here's the definition of intercessory primarily to fall in with, meet with in order to converse, then to make petition, especially to make intercessions, plead with a person either for or against others. And Christ, of course, is far as far as an intercessor. This is a note from Barnes, and I I copied it just because I think he expresses it well. It says, the general meaning is that he undertakes their cause, and he assists them in overcoming their foes and in their endeavors to live a holy life. He does in heaven whatever is necessary to attain for us grace and strength. Now, a couple of passages. John 17, uh, verse 11 through 21. This is when Jesus is in the garden with uh, and praying and praying for the disciples, and we'll not take time again to read all of that that reading, but you'll remember that he talks about, I pray not only for these, but for for all those who believe, he says, and uh, and that they may be one with you, Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent him, or sent me, Um uh, so he's working in that capacity. Look over to the book of Hebrews in the second chapter, and I think you get maybe a better idea of uh, this idea of intercessory and what he's doing for us. Look at Hebrews 2 and verse 16. He says, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid. He had to be made likened to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make prop- propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able uh, to aid. Being tempted, he is able to to aid those who are tempted. He said. and then look down to chapter four, verse fifteen and sixteen, and he says um, again. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So all of this is telling us that Jesus is uh, in heaven, he's our high priest, that he makes intercessions for us, uh, and that this is what he does at this time. Any thoughts or questions over this part? I t- Passages. Well, John 2. Let's go back to John 2 and verse 1. First John 2 and verse 1 again. And you see again a good passage on uh, his work for us. And if you look back to chapter 1, you remember he tells us that if we want fellowship with God, we must walk in the light as he's in the light. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us. So in chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I to you so that you may not sin. And if any sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. So what He does as this high priest in intercessions is, he makes intercessions for our sins. When we sin, He is there to uh, make intercessions for us. Any thoughts or questions over any either, either one of these points thus far? Okay, look, if you would, next to uh, the book of Romans, in the 8th chapter, verse 34, Acts two thirty-three and Psalms 110, verse uh, 1 and 2, and you learn that, This is when he sat down at the right hand of God, where he reigns over the kingdom of God. Look at chapter 8 of Romans. Look at verse 34. And he talks about who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore also is risen who is even at the right hand of God, and who makes intercessions for us. So you'll notice that he is at the right hand of God. Look at Acts 2 and verse 33. Now back to the sermon on, the, uh, on Pentecost, chapter 2 and verse 33. Uh, Peter says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured this to which you now see and hear, so notice again that he says he's exalted to the right hand of God. Now look, if you would, to the book of Psalms. there. Uh, Psalms 110 and verse 1. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. But notice, the Lord said unto my Lord. So you've got Lord saying unto his Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. Talking about Jesus. God has told Jesus. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. What you need to see is that when he sits at the right hand of God, this is when he is ruling. And we've seen in Romans and we've seen in Acts 2, he now sits at the right hand of God. Uh, Those that are millennials think that Christ will come back. They don't think he's reigning now. They think that he will come back and he will establish his kingdom on earth. But that won't fit the scriptures. He is now sitting at the right hand of God and he reigns when he is sitting at the right hand of God. So he's reigning now. And then look over, if you would, again to the book of 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter. And again, Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ on this occasion and and, uh, or showing that Christ was raised. And then drop down, if you would, to about verse 20. Uh, look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15:20. 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man comes death, by man comes also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. So he says, there's, we, we're going to die, we're going to be made alive. And he says, Christ is the fruit. He's the first one that has died, been raised from the dead, not to die again. He's the firstfruit. First firstfruit carries with it the idea that there's more fruits coming. So Christ is raised, and he's talking about the time that we will be raised to at his coming. Then in verse 24, then comes the end. So after this resurrection, he says, then comes the end. Not his resurrection, but when we are raised to be with him. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he has put all, or put an end to the rule and authority and power, for it must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And so he is reigning now at the right hand of God. He will continue to reign until the resurrection of all people and death is done away. And so that wouldn't fit the, the millennial thoughts about him coming to earth and reigning a thousand years and then uh, whatever else happens, happens in their, their way of thinking. But he reigns until the last enemy death is put to, put an end and that's, that's the resurrection. My thoughts are questions over this. Main point is realize that that the ascension is when he arose and when he he uh, sat at the right hand of God and so that's when he began to reign as king over the kingdom. Any thoughts? I right, uh, oh, one more point. Uh, look at John the sixteenth chapter. A couple of more points that somehow didn't get up there. Uh, Look at John 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. And so it was when he ascended that the Holy Spirit was sent down on the apostles and on others. Look, uh, secondly, in the same thought to chapter 7 of the book of John, and look at verse 37, John 7 and verse 37. On the last day, the great feast, or the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone... anyone thirst let him come to me and drink. he who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believe are whom those are in whom in him who would receive those believing in him who would receive let me just try that old thing again. but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So one, you have him saying that Christ is going to come, that he had to ascend in order to give the Spirit. The other place saying he couldn't give it then or they had not received it at that time because he had not yet ascended and hence wasn't glorified. Then look over again to the book of Acts in the second chapter, and verse 33, and he says, um, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you do now see and hear. Now, Pentecost was when the Spirit fell on the apostles and was the beginning of them parting spiritual gifts and the Spirit uh, leading them as they did at that time. And you'll notice that it was when he was exalted. Uh, Therefore you see and hear this, which is in accordance to the other passages that we read. I had any thoughts over that part? Uh, Then one last point. Look at the book of Hebrews in the sixth chapter. Look down to verse 19. He says... This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the present behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So our hope is anchored by this idea that he's been raised and he now sits at the right hand of God and is our high priest forever. Anything else you can think about? Uh, Any questions over the ascension of Jesus or uh, any questions that you just have that you want to ask about his ascension? I want us to continue then and look at uh, the idea of the second coming of Jesus. Uh, And first of all, just know that no man knows when Christ will come again. Look, if you would, to the book of Matthew in the 24th chapter. And there's several different faults people have on Matthew 24. But in Matthew 24 and verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour no one knows, or even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so so uh, so will the coming of Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the second or of the son of man be so uh, here's a statement about Christ coming again and he says no man is going to know when all of these people that are predicting and saying This is when he's coming. This is when he's coming. Uh, Jesus says, no man knows. They don't know. We don't have to be afraid of their predictions because they don't know when Christ is coming again. Uh, But we do know that the coming is true, uh, that he will come as a thief in the night. Uh, Several passages that tell us that he's coming, that he's coming as a thief in the night. Look at a couple of them. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. And verse 2, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Uh, this idea of coming in a thief of the night just means that he's coming when we don't know. That that's, that's the idea behind it, that we don't know when he will be coming Uh, though we do know that he's coming at some time. Um, Look at 2 Peter 3.10. This is a passage that talks a great deal about his second coming. And again, he describes it that we don't know when it's going to be. Uh, 3 and verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Uh, and then again, Matthew 24:44 is going to say again, Like the thief, he will come. We won't know when it is. So we don't know when it's going to come, uh, but we can be assured that it will come And that when it comes, it will be a glorious event. Uh, There's a number of passages that will tell you where they are. I don't know if those are on your sheet or not. Yes, you've got a number of them there, so that's sufficient, I think, there. Uh, I want you to notice that His coming will be great and glorious. Look over to Matthew 25. We, we talked about the latter part of Matthew 24 is talking about the coming of Jesus. The first part is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, I think, the latter part of the coming of Jesus. He goes right on into ch- chapter 25 and some parables. And then when you get down to verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of the holy angels with Him, He will sit on the throne of His glory. he's going to come and it will be a glorious coming and he will come and sit on the throne. Look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. Uh, This is a question that had been raised apparently by the people there in Thessalonica. What's going to happen to those that are dead when Christ comes again? Are, are uh, Are we going to precede them in some way? And so he seeks to answer them by saying that, This is what's going to happen when Christ comes again. Look at verse uh, 15, first of all. He says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those that are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Uh, notice he's talking particularly about Christians on this occasion. They, they've asked the question about those that are dead in the Lord, what happens to them? Uh, will we somehow precede them and be ahead of them? He says, no, here's what's going to happen, Christ will come. But notice how he describes it. He's going to come, there'll be the, the shout, of the voice of the archangel, uh, Christ will come with his angels. And so it's going to be a glorious scene. And then those that are alive will be caught, or those that are dead will be raised. Those that are in Christ and dead will be raised to be with Him. And then we that are alive will be caught up. Uh, Do notice, if you would, 1 Thessalonians 4 and uh, verse 15 again. He says, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And So you have those that are dead in Christ rising first. Then we who are alive. He's not talking about a resurrection of the righteous and then later a resurrection of the wicked, like some read it. He is talking about the resurrection of the righteous, those that are dead shall rise, and then we they're going to rise first first in the order of, of Christians. They're going to rise first and then we that are alive shall be caught up with him. So it's the resurrection of the righteous and then those that are alive and righteous will be caught up with him. Not first resurrection and a second resurrection. Like some people want to teach today. Any thoughts or questions or comments over any of these? I think we're good enough. We're slowing down, actually. Just a, a question more as what I read the passage that you said uh, absence from the body means presence with the Lord. So, how would we reconcile that with if we're dead and then? Dead, but then like, like we're sleeping to we go when he comes okay uh, some of the passages I think are not giving us the complete complete picture uh, you remember that Christ died he went to Hades first and then because he he was raised from the dead his soul didn't see corruption or his body didn't see corruption in other words his soul left in Hades uh, the rich man uh, not the rich man, but in the story of the rich man and the beggar, uh, the beggar died and they went to, the beggar went to a place of torment and the beggar or the, the righteous went to a place of, of comfort. And so there's this Hadidian world, which just literally means the unseen. And it seems to be divided into two parts a part of, a place of torment and a place of comfort. And our souls go first of all there while our bodies are in the ground. And then when Christ comes again, uh, the souls will be brought and the bodies raised and united in those. Um, look at Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the end of chapter four. And Paul has been talking about how that we suffer, but that we can stand that light, that light suffering. He says, uh, beginning in chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are, are eternal. And he begins to, to add to that. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, that's this body that we have, we know if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from, from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. That's the resurrected body, thing. And so we, we put off this old body, and there's a time we put on a new one. He says, For if we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven... If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked; uh, for we who are in the, this tent grown, being burdened. Not that we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So he's, he's talking about the resurrection, and that's when Christ comes again. And so again, there's—he doesn't deal with that space in between, where the body, or where uh, where the person, the body, or where the, where the soul. Would be in paradise, but the body would be in the ground. But then when he comes again, then the souls will be brought back and united with the Spirit, and those that are of Christ will be caught up to ever be with him in the air. Right. False question? If I didn't make that clear, ask a question. We'll try again. Right. Okay. Uh, Carol, I think uh, something that's worth pointing out that uh, shows significance and in- both his ascension and his second and my return, is uh, over here in, in John 14 where he's talking to his house, uh and, and tells them, uh, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you, I go, I go, I send uh, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's very significant to us in I do. <laughs> see, You see, ascending into heaven and then coming back. You have both go that passage. Coming for those that are are uh, righteous or particularly talking about the righteous in that passage. Okay, any other thoughts? All right, uh, so we've got that it's a great and glorious coming. Uh, a couple of other things. That's Peter talking about how the world will end when He comes again. But of that day of the Lord, will, or but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. And so, when Christ comes again, this earth will end, and it will be the end of this world. No room for uh, a thousand-year reign after His coming on earth. Because the earth will be burned up. Uh, this is a statement uh, Paul's writing in Corinthians For as Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those that are Christ at his coming. So you see again, and he's talking particularly about Christians again here, but Christ is the first fruit, He was the first to die and be raised, not to die again. Afterwards, those that are at Christ at His coming, they're going to be raised as well. Uh, It's not saying that the unrighteous will not be raised. He's just talking about Christians and and talking to Christians at this time and dealing with their questions. Uh, John 5 and verse 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave will hear His voice. Come forth, those that have done good, to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil, to the resurrection of damnation. So, Uh, You have that when he comes again, uh, this will be the time when everyone will be raised, both righteous and unrighteous, one resurrection, everybody being raised, and bodies being changed, righteous being fitted for heaven, uh, the wicked for theirs. It is the time of the resurrection of the dead. We've we've got that. Uh, And then notice, if you would, 26, 31 through 32, when the Son of Man comes in His glory with all His holy angels, that's His second coming again, I think, with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. So here's the judgment. And that comes when after Christ comes again. And then all will be brought before Him and, and judgment will take place. Uh, after that, you have salvation for those who are righteous. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation for those that are, are his. There's a couple of other passages that suggest that. And then last, it will also be the eternal damnation for those who do not know God or do not his will. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 would be one of those passages that we talk about that when Christ comes again that... Uh, those that do not know God and do, have not obeyed his will, that they shall be uh, separated from him into eternal damnation. So hence the, the significance of his ascension, not only his ascension, but the second coming as well. Thank you for your good attention.